everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am here today with Michael Mondragon, a.k.a. Disco Machine. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. I, I wish I could say that I'm Disco Machine today, but um, yeah, that, that guy might have uh, faded away a long time ago. You know, uh, like Disco, it died, you know? It's, yeah, it's a product well, of its time. Yes. <laughs> yes. I knew it in the 70s it was going to die, so, you know, it was going to die in the 2000s too. For anyone not familiar, if you're listening to an indie wrestling podcast, I can't imagine you wouldn't be familiar, but uh, you were one of the PWG6, one of the people who started Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, uh, one of, I always say, I'm going to say it for the third time now, now that I've had three of you, yes. one of the most influential indies in America in the 2000s, really when the indie boom hit. And yeah. uh, so I've already asked, you know, your fellow members this, but I'd love to get your take on how it started what your goals were when it was going on and, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it really was born out of our uh, friendship uh, and, and really our upbringing from Revolution Pro Wrestling uh, with Ron Rivera in the late 90s and uh, Super Dragon, Excalibur, Mr. Excitement, uh, Rising Sun. Uh, There's so many people that made this little, uh, this li- these little shows out of a garage uh, and, and, uh, a success and we used to put out tapes that's i mean that's what people did in the late 90s and do tape trading and you know we would uh watch tapes and and but also uh trade tapes and when it came when uh, ron rivera had the kind of the brainchild of kind of creating a group uh, i think it was like in nine well it was between 96 and 90 i met i met ron rivera in 96 at a triple a show in phoenix that's where i was living at the time and he was working for conan at that time and so I met him and uh, eventually I moved out to California in 97. And there, there was always this kind of like talk in the background of like starting something or doing something, but it really wasn't defined. And we really didn't know how it would work or would we work for someone else or try it. It really, uh, you know, in a sense, we, we trained ourselves uh, much like the, uh, like the young bucks uh, would probably be more comparable today. They just had a ring and they just did stuff and they watched tapes and, and consumed it and just tried to create their own style. Um, and it was much like the bucks. It was very difficult uh, for us to get on other shows. A lot of people saw us as like these outliers that were, were, were training ourselves and, and uh, but also getting training. We were going places. There was actually little Lucha groups, that we would go to and uh, you know try to you know, soak up as much as we could, and but we were seen as kind of like really the outsiders uh, at that time. Uh, eventually, uh, we tried to do more and, and grow outside of it. Super Dragon was like in the king of the king of the indies at that time. At in the what was it uh, ninety nine or something like that? It was it might have been yeah, earlier uh, two thousand. It probably was 2000, yeah. Yeah, I believe the first King Indies was 2000, second was 2001, I believe. Yeah, so that was, that was like a big deal for, for someone to be in, in that company. And, uh, and, and, but it got us a lot of great exposure. And then from there, we started doing more, uh, more wrestling like for XPW. And that's where we really kind of hit the second level of like, wow, like, you know, these guys are not uh, your traditional wrestlers, but they're doing something different. And that was really fortunate because there's this like, you know, infamous tag match, uh, Super Dragon and, and Excalibur and Rising Sun and Taro that that really um, showed the, the you know, that the undercard was like 
just as good as like the people on top. And it was like, and we, at that time we got a lot of heat for, for doing those types of things. We were told to like tone it down, not to do as much, hmm. but we always fought for that. You know, they brought us there for a reason and we were going to take advantage of it. And so we did. And we, when we went other places, it was like a similar thing. So we were seen as kind of like these kind of, uh, kids, although I wasn't a kid at the time, I was probably 10 years older than everybody, but I was, um, but we, we actually, you know, did all these things and, and made a name for ourselves. But then it eventually we got to the point where we didn't want to, uh, we want, kind of want to start controlling other things and, and really just to wrestle more, but also do it in a style, but also bring out people that we wanted to wrestle as well. And, you know, that's why, you know, in our first show we had AJ Styles, um, Samoa Joe was supposed to be in that match, that very first mm -hmm. uh, main event, and he got hurt. But we had a whole bunch of people that were already here, but then flying out people that, that had names. And I mean, that, a lot of people weren't doing that in that kind of way at that time. And in 2003 is when we started Gorilla. And at that time, we, nobody expected us to even survive, like maybe a couple shows at the most, six workers all putting together, you know, shipping in and putting the food together. There's no way this is going to last. Oh, on paper, it sounds like, oh, too many cooks in the kitchen. There's no way this is it's going to be bad. And uh, if you looked at our competition at the time was New Japan Wrestling was wrestling out of a San, uh, Santa Monica. They had a dojo out there. Uh, UPW had uh, WWF or WWE affiliation at that time yeah. so we were seeing as like ah this is cute you know and you know even the the place that we wrestled at um in our first shows frankensons was run by another promoter who had a, a promotion there already so there was you know lucha groups and and other places so we we were just seen as another place just to have shows so to grow into what it has now um is really um it's really a, uh, it's great to see. Although I was only there, I was, I, I like to say that I was there. There's three phases of PWG. There was the beginning, there was the transition when I left, and then there was what it is today. So I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for PWG, um, for their success without me. Uh, be, uh, you know, and I, I, I could probably talk more at length about that, but it's, um, but yeah, it was like, they, they needed to go on without me and mm -hmm. they've totally thrived because of it. Interesting. Yeah. So why do you think uh, they thrive because of it? Because at the time that I was, um, uh, at that time, so this would have been 2003 through 2007, it was, it was a really tough time in my life, a, a, a time that I, I don't like to reflect back on. Um, not, not in a sense of like, you know, I had a drug problem or anything. It was just uh, a lot of things had caught up to me by then, a lot of depression, a lot of um, you know, I, I was divorced, uh, you know, years before and I, it's like, uh, you know, um, I, I, I'm wearing this, this Brody, uh, Steven shirt, you know, cause he struck, he struggled with a lot of mental illness and eventually lost his life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to plug something for that later that that's involved with him. But one of the things positive that really, energy, yes, that's yes. right. Yes. Enjoy it. <laughs> and, and so, so the, one of the things that he always put out that positive energy and like, you know, push, you know, he's push, push, you know, it's like, but I, that's what I was doing. I was pushing, but I was, I, I was kind of denying uh, the fact that, that I was struggling at the time. Mm. Um, and wrestling is one of those types of things where um, you can get in the cycle, like wrestling becomes like almost like a drug in a sense where the punishment and you do 
bigger things and you, you, you can get hurt more and you start making bad decisions. Mm. And I was making bad decisions all the way around. So eventually, um, a lot of it caught up to me and I had to, I had to pull the plug on it. I had to pull the plug on me being in my involvement in it. And it was, um, probably the hardest thing that I've had to do. It's, um, in a sense that, you know, it's like, walking away from a business he started, but letting someone else kind of run with the football as it were. And I really, um, I said like, whatever you can make of this, make of it. And uh, a lot of people would think that I'm dumb doing that. But uh, for me, it, it probably uh, kept me alive, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cause I was, I was struggling a lot and probably more than I care to admit. I feel you on that. I've had uh, those issues before. I wasn't running a business, but I've dealt with uh, some of that stuff. Uh, Prozac Nation represent. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it is tough, especially because, and it's, it's interesting that you bring up Brody Stevens because it's a very similar, I mean, I would assume I was never a wrestler. I trained a little bit, but I was never a wrestler. Uh, I, I would assume the same types of like, when you're a stand-up comic, you, you constantly feel like, well, I need to be going out. I need to be going and working every night. I need yeah. to be doing a set every night. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure when you're a wrestler, you're thinking, well, I got to keep getting booked. You got to get to keep being out there. You got to, you know, I got to, you know, now all of a sudden you're wrestling four or five times a week or sometimes, and you're like really putting your body and mind through something that maybe it's not necessarily, you know, equipped for. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure if people really knew my capacity with pro wrestling gorilla because, uh, and they probably just saw my matches and like, you know, who, who, like, who is this guy, you know, whatever. And I, maybe I, I, in a sense, it, it, as I grew, I, I didn't fit in, I felt, um, but it was only because I was doing so much at that time. So every flyer you saw, um, every, um, I take that back. It's not every every bit of it because uh, Excalibur and Super Dragon were super instrumental in a lot of the production of that stuff. But but a lot of the graphics, a lot of the website stuff, a lot of uh, just you know all the little stuff that you don't see. Going to Kinkos at three a.m. Uh, because that's the only time that you can actually get stuff printed. A lot of the stuff, you know, at the time I was, uh, you know, my, my son was two or three. Uh, I was a divorced dad. It was, uh, I was trying to keep a full-time job. Wrestling wasn't my full-time career either. So I was still trying to train. I was trying to do all this stuff. And I was really like cutting myself thin. And, um, and, and it, was, it was super catching up to me. But the one thing I was just talking to Gabe Ramirez of pro wrestling uh, revolution mm, yesterday about this. And we were talking about how wrestling, just when you think like, okay, I've had enough, this is enough. Uh, this is, you know, I can't, it's not my vocation, but I'm like, I'm putting a lot of time and effort of side work into this. And it's become, you know, like simultaneous with like my full time. I had two full time jobs in a sense. And, uh, but also trying to wrestle on top of that. I'm just like, okay, this is enough. I can't do anymore. Oh my God. Okay. We're going to go to Europe. Damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. There's, there's, that a, there's, a, there's an MTV show. My God. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to go to, you want to go to Japan? Ah, so that's how those things happen. Um, and you don't, you can't plan them sometimes and they only happen and it's a small window and you have to take either take advantage of it or you don't. So I tried to do um, probably too much, and uh, and that was uh, that that's that's all a part of learning. And I I don't regret any of it now. Uh, back then, I, I probably would have had a different story, but now I look back on it, and it's like the the legacy that I think that I've um, 
that I've created, um, uh, you know, still stands up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, interesting you bring up the whole, you know, when you try to get out, even like, I think every aspect of wrestling is like that. My friend Jesus Cruz, who also does this show and he, inter- he does a Lucha Libre edition of this mm-hmm. show. Uh, he was one of the, one of the first people in Northern California to start running like consistent Lucha Libre shows. And every time he would like do it for a while and then he would lose money and then he would stop and he'd be like, I'm never running a show again in my life. Yeah. And then like a yeah. year later, he's like, so we're going to be running a show. And then like yeah. all of a sudden oh, yeah. start the cycle over and over again. And he's like, even now he's like, well, uh, maybe. I mean, now we just did a, uh, we're working on like a documentary thing with, Mar- with Michael Modest right now. So either way he gets dragged back into wrestling every chance he gets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, that's, a, that's a really good point because I, I, whenever anybody asks me about starting like, you know, a, a promotion, they're like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm doing and my, I, you know, I'm glad I can put it out now because I don't have to say it to them personally because I don't want to crush anybody's dreams. You should definitely start a role wrestling promotion if you want to do it. Uh, my, but my, my overall advice is to them, I say, well, whose money are you going to lose? Are you going to lose yours or someone else's? Because that is basically the way it goes. Yes, you, if you make it into a proper business and do the right channels, you can make money at it. But you have to have a just like any startup, just like any business, you have to have a solid uh, business plan to make money and, and really go through the years. You have to have a, 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 a one-week uh, plan, but you also have a, a five-year, 10-year plan. So like, are you going to stick around for five, 10 years? So is it just a one-off? Like, how are you going to do this? Um, a lot of people don't take the time to do that. They just really enamored by the wrestling and just want to start a promotion. And that's why you see ones go flame up and flame down, you know? So that's, and and for PWG, uh, I can speak from experience. Uh, I walked away from it. Um, and I, financially I wasn't in good shape. So, uh, and so I, as a, but I've lost, you know, money in other businesses too. If I had an ice cream stand and I lost money, it would be the same, same lesson. Yeah, uh, on the Tower episode, he mentioned uh, basically a lot of their European vacation, you know, slash actual work that you guys had to do was funded a lot by you. Well, and, and I look back on it, it's like, hey, you know, money is, uh, money comes and goes. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was an opportunity that we all had. And I, and I saw like, here like uh, Quicksilver and uh, Scorpio Sky, Excalibur, all the guys from like Rev Pro. So, uh, so we were really trying to just do something. I said, I couldn't make, not make this happen. So I had to do what I could. And, uh, yeah, I put a lot more labor hours into it, which I, which weren't billable hours. Uh, but uh, it was, again, it was like, I I can look back on it and really be proud. And, uh, I'm going to jump off what I was saying earlier. Uh, My friend Jesus Cruz, he told me to ask you about your mask getting stolen. So I'd like to go into oh that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm interested to know how he knows that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a kind of a boy. That was a, that was a low, kind of a low moment for me because sometimes I'll, I'll when I, when I take off my mask, for those who don't know, I come with like, it was almost like a little half mask, didn't have a mouthpiece. So um, yeah, in this, in these days of COVID, it wouldn't be a good mask. Let's just say that. So, but I would take it off um, and then uh, I would put it down with all my gear and then someone would take it to the back. Well, like someone <laughs> during the match just walked up and grabbed my mask and just took it. Said, "Oh, I thought it was just you threw it away or whatever it was." And it was like, 
And, but all my other, my, my, my jacket and uh, my disco ball was all in the back. And I was like, where's my mask? So I found out that, that someone had, had actually <laughs> walked out with it. Luckily I got it back. Um, and then the next show I came out, I actually had, took a, a bike lock and I actually locked it to the, <laughs> to the post. So yeah, that was, that's funny that you say that. I was, I'm, I'm interested to know how we know, or was he the culprit? No, I'm I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's funny. Like, what do you think? You were Bret Hart giving away your sunglasses to people? Like, Maybe, <laughs> you know, that's, in, in fairness, I didn't say that it wasn't, you know, for everybody, but you know, those things cost a lot. Yeah. Uh, you touched on it a bit earlier. Um, about XPW and Wrestling Society X. Uh, I'm pretty good friends with uh, Luke Hawks. Sure. So I'm sure you ran into him on oh, both yeah. of those things. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your experience in each of those promotions? Because they were some, XPW specifically, was a pretty wild situation. So, you know, well, yeah, reflect I, I, on your our, time. Yeah, our, um, our association with XPW was all through Ron Rivera. He had make, made some uh, inroads with them. And uh, we started like just doing more shows with them. Uh, I was saying about the, the tag match, but I actually had a match with Super Dragon, which uh, kind of gets f- kind of forgotten in the shuffle. And it's like, it's one of my favorite matches. Uh, and I actually have um, one of the most famous, not famous, but it was a infamous botch in it. I actually, I actually got knocked out in the match. Excalibur actually need me in the back of the head during the match. And I was actually bleeding. So I was, I was knocked, you know, senseless during the match as well. Um, just our, our hard style. We always wanted to be harder and, and better than everybody, but the, um, like that match really super holds up. And, uh, I actually was, um, going to go for a power slam in the corner. Um, and actually went for it early, uh, too early and uh super dragon made me pay for it with a double stomps to the face. I'm sure I am almost positive. That's where the double stomps, uh, uh, his double stomps came in and, uh, it was in the XPW opening for like years so um but but that match is actually I, I i love that match and it was really special to me and but from there it was like that was our first kind of uh experience with kevin kleinrock and and we started uh he always had these projects in the background and and wrestling society x was one of them and all of a sudden he says like do you we're going to be on mtv and we're going to do this would would you like to you know be a part of this and i said like of course like you know and and uh it 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 holds up as another thing that's super special that that really held up in my my career as well and and people look back on it fondly even though it you know to to people that are probably going to look back at it now, it probably seemed cheesy or it seemed kind of like produced, but the, it, the envisionment of it from what it, what it started with, uh, I feel kind of changed with the MTV aspect of it, Mm. but I I can't complain too much because MTV loved uh, my character and they were, and we were um, in, uh, in the most tag team matches on the show. We, we were the first tag team winners and we got to wrestle the dragon gate guys. Um, um, so like, again, like all the, all these dreams and, you know, got to wrestle on this roster with so many great people. And yeah, Luke Hawks was, was a, a super uh, big part of that. And he had a tag team too. That was, that was, you know, that or the whole faction that really did a lot of big things. And, and, uh, I, I didn't wrestle with Luke's at, at uh, Luke at, um, XPW, but I, uh, I seem to remember I wrestled some, somewhere else with him, but yeah, super great guy. I, I really enjoyed uh, my time there. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was, it was so special 
just to be a part of that. And, and Kevin Kleinrock, and uh, he was the one that was really, really um, a, a, one of my biggest fans. And I can't thank him enough for all the opportunities he gave me. Uh, same with Ron Rivera. Same with Super Dragon Excalibur. So uh, they gave me so many opportunities in this business that that I, I, I say that I've so so overachieved like way more than I wanted to do. So um, I wish I could have dedicated more time to in entering wrestling, but um, but that would have probably meant that I had to make a career change if, if I got good at it. You know, that was, that's, that's how much I put into everything that I do. And uh, how were, how was the XPW as far as like locker room stuff? Like, you know, when, when you're joining up with the, with this group, which just, you know, there's a few stories about XPW, but like, how did they receive like, you know, other people in their locker room? Well, I think because I was, was with this crew, they, they, they accepted me and they, they, they knew who we were. Uh, their locker room was, was, I mean, it's, it's as crazy as you, you've heard. Like mm. it, it was crazy. I mean, during like the XP, uh, the, you know, the XPW days, the ECW days, all that, all that culture, it was exactly what you've heard about it. The fun thing was that that wrestling has this kind of you know brother type of of uh, mentality where it's like you know we were all doing the same thing we all just wanted to have the best match on the show we all uh, took it really seriously and it was uh, you know it was, it was punk rock so it, it was we were we were creating something something special at the time we didn't know what we were creating but it was at the Olympic Auditorium you know this 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 very famous arena where like, you know, Bruno San Martino wrestled and, and all those LA legends wrestled there and uh, Elvis wrestled there. I wrestled there. That'd be great for Elvis wrestled there. Oh, uh, but, but, but he performed there and uh, we, I saw shows there and um, there it has such a history, but just to be, be able to, like, I, I can say that I wrestled at the Olympic auditorium. I've wrestled at Caraco and hall. Uh, I, I've wrestled, so many places that, that, that I, I never thought I would ever even like see as a fan. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, like, wow. The, the fact that I actually had a match there um, is really uh, super special. And, and, uh, and I, I look back on it very fondly. I saw that you did some uh, stuff with uh, Lucha promotions here in the States. Did you also go to Mexico at all? I did. I did. I wrestled in Mexico. Um, uh, actually, for another project that Kevin Kleinrock had, it was for a G4. Uh, they were doing a kind of a lucha show. Uh, I actually wrestled uh, a tag team match with Human Tornado there. Uh, I, I start, my very first match was in uh, Mexicali uh, in 1998, okay. um, and it was terrible. And it was it was it was just great. Uh, I also wrestled. Um, I want to say somewhere else, but I, I'm I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But um, yeah, the 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 one the the actual one for uh, G four was actually uh, it was <laughs> it was actually a cockfighting ring, and we, you know they actually had like all the some of the feathers and the all the the chicken wire in oh, there. Wow. But yeah, it was it was uh, it was quite it was. I, I I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember the name of the place, but it was uh it was one of those just kind of like it was so lucha, so lucha. It was right there in Tijuana. So it was like, it was, it was great. Yeah. So I, I've wrestled there a couple of times, but, um, yeah, I actually wrestled more, um, Mexicans and, uh, Japanese people who spoke, uh, Spanish in Japan because they all trained in ah, Mexico city. There you go. So we, we spoke Spanish and, uh, and wrestling when I went to Japan for Osaka pro. 
I was going to say, because uh, your gimmick is what goes over, I'm sure went over really well with Lucha crowds because oh, they yes. love that stuff. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was either one, my, my character was really unique in the fact that like, it wasn't one of those that was on the fence. You either loved it or you hated it. So I was always really lucky in that sense. So if I saw the crowds weren't really appreciating me, I would push that. But if I saw that that they were they were appreciating me, it was very easy just to do the things that that uh, a baby face would do. And uh, but also have that kind of like you know I'm dancing to get you know kind of entrance you or trying to get you out of your element or feel uneasy. Yeah. So it, it it was it was so fun to do. And uh, yeah, I said I I wouldn't. Um, I always thought to myself because because my last name is Mondragon, so M O N D R A G O N. So I always joke that I was actually the only dragon at, in wrestling. <laughs> and there were so many dragons, but so I was many a real dragons. Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, wrestling in Japan. I also saw that you did the Osaka Pro Sunflower Cruise. I did. So I wrestled on a cruise ship. Uh, it was actually uh, Mr. Excitement and myself. We actually wrestled. Uh, it was called Golden Week in Japan. So that it's like they have different days during the week. So like one is Kids Day, one is Grandparents Day. One, they're all dedicated to different uh, honoring different uh, you know members of society in Japan. So there's a there's a cruise liner that goes around Osaka. I think it's Osaka Bay, and we actually they had a, a wrestling ring on this um, cruise liner. So basically, what you do, you pay a ticket. And you could walk around, the, the, the ship would go around the bay a couple times and you could go and play games and you can do all the stuff or just look around and stuff like that. But they had wrestling on there. So they actually had a wrestling ring. And I think it was, I think it was me and uh, Gamma, who was later in, um, in Toriumon and, uh, and against uh, Black Tiger and uh and mr excitement so yeah so we we uh unfortunately uh on an elbow strike i i i bloodied uh mr excitement's nose so the young boys had to like clean it after uh the, our match and actually when i went for a dive i did like a kind of a a, a mariposa which is uh basically just like a tumble outside uh, off the ropes kind of like similar to an acai moonsault but i actually did that and the the ship like kind of moved so mm. I didn't go backwards. I actually <laughs> I went to the side and, um, and, and landed pretty hard um, uh, off, the, off the shoulder of my opponent. So, but it, it was, oh my God, what a blast. And, and uh, we actually, uh, before we were going to lock up, Mr. Excitement and I, we actually stopped because we were getting seasick. Like it, it was, it was so fun. It, I mean, it was, it was That's just great. a great time. Yeah. And it was an experience that you could never get if you just didn't travel around or do these types of things. And how was about, how about the rest of Japan uh, working, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious there because, you know, when you're wrestling the States, Mexico and Japan, like, you know, how was it uh, as far as the crowds, you know, uh, working the crowd? How did the crowd respond to you? That kind of thing. So one of the interesting things about uh, working for Osaka Pro was it was a, it was a kids, it was, it was geared towards kids. And it was uh, the actual Delphin Arena was in this area of Osaka where they have like a big like merry-go-round and there's, if you go up a couple levels, there's like a roller coaster and there's, there's video games and there's a plenty of stuff to do in this kind of amusement area. 
So they would have like these, um, you know, shows on different days. And then the weekend shows were like one was uh, a Saturday night, like TV taping. And then they would, they would do these other types of shows. Um, So like the Saturday shows were always like the big shows that were going to get taped. So, but the one thing that I heard about like in Japan that they asked was like, oh, they go, oh, you, you take off your mask. And I'm like, yes, I do. And and then they what the, what really intrigued me was is they wanted to see my American face, like mm. which really super intrigued me. So like they were happy that I that I had something where where I could like reveal and stuff like that. And the fact that I that I I, I was very entertainment based was they loved that. So coming out under a disco ball and having the referee do it, and they wanted to, they all wanted to like hold it at some point, and they would work around it and stuff like that. So it was really well accepted, and and the fact that that I was more entertainment based always got me further in wrestling than any move I ever did. Mm. Like you know, I, we were, you guys were talking about the Canadian Destroyer, um, which is which I say is the new Shining Wizard, uh, which is the new Sunset Flip, uh, but it, but it, but. Um, that like I didn't have to do any crazy moves to actually have an impact uh, in wrestling. They just wanted me to just go out there and entertain. And uh, but I always tried to be the best wrestler I could, and I always tried to. I trained, uh, you know, in pro wrestling, American style. But I also trained in the New, New Japan Dojo for a, a while. They also had lucha classes there. I trained at Gill's Garage to be a better uh, lucha worker, and it super helped me because in when in Osaka Pro, they were all working lucha. So if I didn't learn that, um, I, I think I would have had a, a much harder time. But it was all it was all cake. It was so fun, and uh, everything. It was like like, like knowing a different language yeah. um, that that no one else knew. And it's, and uh, what a lot of people don't know is you know American style you lock up this way, but uh, lucha style you lock up the other way. So it's everything is opposite. So it's just, it's so fun just to like, just be able to have that interchangeable work both sides of your brain, uh, not just always going after one body yeah. part all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, you shouldn't sell your ring, your ring style short at all. Uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, your ring style. Uh, if anything, when I saw, first saw PWG and I saw you come out, I was on the fence. I'm not going to lie about the gimmick. I, I, I was like, let me see where this goes. Cause I was yeah. like, you know, it's wrestling. So you never know where it's going to go. And I saw you work and I was like, no, this dude can work. I like him. Okay. So I like the gimmick. <laughs> see, I, I, I just don't, to me, there still has to be some aspect of good wrestling in it too. Yeah. So yeah. like your gimmick was entertaining, but you were also a good wrestler. So I'm okay with that. Uh, it's, if, if you know, that. if you have someone who's purely, you know, all entertainment and in the ring, they're the shits. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna, I don't care how entertaining you are. You could be a manager. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it it gets it gets really um, like real fast. You get fed up with it. I totally get that. But I, I always wanted to improve. We all, just as a group. I mean, I think that's why Revolution Pro. Um, all of our we are always hungry to learn and fight and 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 be more than we were. And a lot of the stuff that we saw, like that was going on at that time. I, I, I take that back. It was like it was a lot of the attitude area. So like we kind of got swept into that. I think that that. Uh, a lot of people forget that, that that's where we all started. And a lot of the stuff that was, you know, a lot of the humor at that time, a lot of the stuff that was going on, it was all influenced on that because it was all about pushing buttons. Yeah. And, and, and definitely like getting a rise. You were talking about comedians earlier. I mean, comedians are now doing that. Some are getting out of the business because they, they're like, 
can't no. even talk to you know people now without you know comedy has to be for every single person and i'm just like that's the great thing about comedy that it isn't for everybody it's like these yeah again it's like a secret language that like only people certain people kind of get but yeah you're right it's um but i think that you know we always try to be more uh we also took influence from a lot of stuff like all japan wrestling like a lot of uh, stuff was all geared toward like getting to WWE. We wanted to be like, you know, Masawa Kobashi or Kawada and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but mi- mix it with the New Japan Juniors. But then bring like Michinoku Pro and Toriumon and T2P during that time. Like, well, that's who we wanted to be because we knew we knew our identity, but we weren't going to be these huge hulks that were going to go out there and kind of, you know, do that type of match. And because uh, we were really self-realistic about that. But we could have like, you know, the pacing, uh, the faster pacing that was really kind of more in our, um, that we loved, that we saw, that we really wanted to imitate. Yeah, I was, uh, speaking of Misawa, I had a chance to meet him and uh, he, when he was over here for Pro Wrestling Iron, wow. I was working uh, for Pro Wrestling Iron at the time. And, uh, you know, obviously it's one of those things where you kind of just like, hello, sir. And then you just kind of walk away because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's Masawa. But yeah. um, what's it called? It, it, it's interesting that you were talking about like the different styles of wrestling, the com- comedy, because one thing I envy about, and I'm sure there's a lot of sticklers in Japan about like old school wrestling, just like there is here. But I feel like it's a lot more prevalent here as far as like people, they're so on the side of the fence of like, so, there's so many like, like the cornet of it all, just the whole, you know, there can't be anything ridiculous at all, no matter what. Meanwhile, in Japan, it's like, you know, you can have a hard-hitting, stiff dudes basically getting dropped on their head for 20 minutes straight. And you can also have, like, you know, Kikitaru and all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you could just have, like, different things. And, you know, like, Masawa loved when Modest would do, he would drop an elbow, he would go back, drop another elbow, and he would come back, and then he would walk on the guy's back instead, or his stomach, and he would just smile and go like this. Yes. Which apparently yes. in Japan is like a thing you're, that shows like weakness to smile. Uh, okay. How so interesting. The, so the crowd ate that up. They thought it was hilarious that he would be like beating someone up, and then he would thumbs up and give it like a yes. big cheesy grin. Yes. But Masawa loved that. Yes. Even though he's in the middle of like a hardcore, like, you know, pretty technical match. So yeah, uh, I don't know. And Su- Super Delphin was was uh, I when I saw how he ran that promotion, um, it really changed my whole perspective on how like I'm, I'm a Super Delphin, right? This guy who's had these amazing matches, Michinoku Pro, uh, you know, wrestled in New Japan, uh, and had, had I thought that it was going to be like this kind of like go over there and it's going to be like oh my god, like it's going to be all that style. Oh my god, like he was the he wanted to have like the the easiest promotion he could sometimes we'd have these 20 minute matches and like the the intros would be 10 minutes long in addition to a a 20 minute match that we did nothing we did nothing but entertain and it was um it was so fun to see like wow there's a whole different entertainment aspect of it of this and plus they have to do this like so many times that you can't have those types of matches every single week for that amount of time without your body breaking down. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, you brought up Masala before there's a thing within wrestlers. We always talk about, you only have so many bumps in you and, uh, and you don't want your last one to be in the ring. Um, and it very well could be, and it was for him, which is super tragic. And when I saw that, it broke my heart. Uh, but you know, if anybody's gonna, you know, literally die in the ring, um, it was gonna be him because like, he, he dedicated his life to professional wrestling. 
Yeah, he actually, uh, in that match, another guy, Bison Smith, I used to do his website. Uh, I was mm-hmm. friends with him. He was in the match when it happened. And, uh, yes. and then he ended up passing away, unfortunately, as well in yes. Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've worked for indie promotions for, you know, since like the late 90s, early 2000s. And sometimes, man, it's a bummer. I'm not going to lie. It's just like, you either see like these wrestle cons that they hold and they get these, you know, big name wrestlers who are like, you know, basically begging for autographs at like wrestle cons and like, and they can barely walk and their knees are shot. And then you see like all these wrestlers, even the guys in the indie scene, it's not just the big guys who like die too young. And it's, it's, it's a crazy business and I don't know why I love it so much, but it's, yeah. you know, it's one of those things. So, you know, well, you, you know why, you know why you probably love it still is because wrestling hasn't taken enough away from you yet. Mm, so you a, a lot of people that are trying to get out of it, um, they, they haven't found that other thing that, that really motivates them more than wrestling. So wrestling mm-hmm. still holds a lot of, um, you know, like love. And, um, it's so funny because like people will say to me, like, um, uh, you know, you still love wrestling. You still love wrestling. I go, well, no, I love my son. Uh, wrestling is something that I can, I can close the door and walk back into. Mm-hmm. So I've really super had to define that. Because there was a time that I was giving up more of myself for wrestling than, than wrestling kind of deserved. And, and especially when I got hurt. Like when I got a staph infection on my elbow. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, when I, I looked over at my arm one day and I, I was at work and I was like, oh my gosh. And I, and I put my, my fingers into here and it was like one of those memory foam. And I'm like, ooh, something's wrong. Oh, and whoa. I thought to myself, like, you know, um, you know, my, my vocation is graphic design. So it's like, you know, if I don't have my arm, like, you know, am I going to do this with like, you know, a wand out of my mouth or something like that? Yeah. Or like, what am I going to do? So I, I really defined that. I said like, you know, if I get hurt, if wrestling, um, uh, wrestling, wrestling, I'm sorry, the wrestling ring doesn't care if I get hurt, it's still going to be there. They're going to set up another ring. They're going to have another show. So I really had to kind of define the balance between that. So, um, but I really admire anyone who really does this for a profession because it's not easy. It mm-hmm. is not easy on the body, and it's it, it is a um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. So, speaking on that, I wanted to know what your opinion is as far as how the indie scene changed as far as not just you know I mean we all know how it changed. We know that you know indie scene got big after you know, WWE basically swallowed everything up and became its own thing. Then finally the Indies got big because people needed and craved an alternative. Please. I know I did. I stopped watching them maybe a decade and a half ago and I still haven't really gone back. Uh, But I wanted to know what, uh, how wrestlers changed, how like the feeling was like in locker rooms, like, cause you were there, you know, nineties until what, 2012, I believe you retired. Yeah. 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 So that's a good chunk of time that you kind of saw how the industry changed in the indie scene. So can you speak a little bit on that maybe? Oh, well, you know, it's so funny because like the people that I wrestled back then are current now, you know, wrestling, uh, Cesaro, Kevin Steen, uh, uh, Kevin Owens, uh, uh, Sammy Zane, uh, you know, all, uh, uh, American dragon, Brian Danielson. So like all those people are now like, their mainstays now, but they all came up during the time that I was wrestling. Uh, and that is, so there's a lot of that old, like, you know, we really had to, you know, uh, uh, 
we did we had to do things kind of differently back then it was there was a lot of like more networking and and um and trying to get our name out there now it's like with youtube and and social media it's super different and i also think the uh i mean i i i have this for my other businesses that i talk about that that you have to keep um you know if your if your business is professional wrestling you should definitely put out professional wrestling all the time. I think that's one reason why like MJF is a perfect example of like sticking to wrestling. Like you won't see like a recipe on his uh, Twitter, right? You, if you do, you're, it's going to mean something towards what he's trying to accomplish. But he is very in character. And, and a lot of people kind of question like, oh, is this this guy for real? Or is this is this yeah. an act? I mean, like, who who can you say that about these days, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, social media has, has made everybody really accessible, but almost too accessible um, in some senses. So that's why I I love like I always like this. You know, if George the Animal Steel had a Twitter, like that would ruin that guy's gimmick, right? Yeah. It's like, come on, it's like, but you, the fact that you you thought that he was like this animal and he actually acted like that all the time, and and uh, you didn't see him on social media and stuff like that. That kind of created his his aura. Uh, so that, I think that's a, one big difference, but then a lot of people have taken great advantage of that. You know, the, the, uh, you know, the bucks have done great with their show and now that what they're doing now, uh, other people have been involved in that, but they see the power of the internet. I think at a time, I think it was in the, when I was kind of getting out of it, people were still trying to do TV and TV, um, kind of changed the, uh, the definition I was trying to kind of give some insight to like YouTube and Amazon and Hulu and all these different platforms that were begging for content like, like these people were putting out. And it was kind of seen as kind of like, eh, not so much. We have these other things. We know what we're doing, but now it's now, you know, in 2020, like that stuff is, is, has really grown and it's like where it's all at. And people like I was watching the IWA mid South uh, Deathmatch tournament and uh, new Japan world and uh, we're watching DDT. The DDT tournament is going on right now. And, and that's all online. And it's exactly where like professional wrestling should have been uh, right now and, uh, or should be right now. But, but back then I was like, this is all changing. It's not going to be the, you know, go to the TV and like we used to do. So that, but, it, but as far as locker rooms go, it's like, I, it's been so long since I've been in a locker room that, that I, I can't really speak on that, but I remember everything, you know, I, I think we were in a bubble because we didn't, I didn't realize it looking back on it until recently that I'm like looking around, like all the people that are in wrestling now, how many people actually came up and came through here? It, it, you know, I didn't have to go somewhere else to see all these people. They came to us yeah, uh, because they wanted to wrestle here. They wanted to be a part of all everything we were doing. So I was really fortunate to be in that little window and uh, have the connections that I did to do the things that I did. You know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned like Hulu and Netflix. I am pretty shocked that Hulu, Netflix or all of them hasn't like tried to snatch up like a PWG or something to have like an actual weekly show purely because, I mean, I listened to the like Eric Bischoff's 83 weeks podcast and he's half full of shit most of the time anyway, cause he's a salesman. Cause you know, that's what he is. Sure, sure. You know, I know what he is. I listen with, with, with full open ears, but, one thing he does mention is that wrestling in comparison to other content on television is a lot cheaper to produce, mm-hmm. you know, and you get weekly content out of it instead of like, you know, 
making a, like a Netflix original movie probably cost them 60, 70 million dollars. Yeah. And how many, how much stuff could you get out of wrestling with that? So to me, I'm kind of shocked that like a Hulu or someone hasn't already tried to pick up something as far as wrestling goes just to have something on there. Cause really, yeah, I, like, don't, huh. yeah I don't know the, the TV business either. Well, how, I mean, I understand having connections and doing all that stuff, but like one of the things, one of the huge advantages was that I could see how, you know, you could have your own uh, proprietary content and then integrate merchandise into it and, and, and do um, eventually there was going to be a pay gateway and that's what they're doing now. You know, you do basically pay for like fight TV, you do mm. you pay for all the pay-per-views and stuff like that. I, I, I really kind of saw all this stuff coming at the time. Um, I was probably too far ahead of, you know, it and people didn't, I, I probably didn't know how to, you know, present it correctly, but I'm like, this stuff is coming. Um, you should definitely think about it, but I don't think a lot of people put a lot of thought into it because they already had plans. Um, and well, I didn't, like I, Vince McMahon bought the WCW library and the NWA library for, if you think about it now, ridiculously cheap because yeah, nobody right. could even fathom the idea of having yeah. a streaming service with everything available. Yes. Yes. And, and it, yeah. And I remember when that happened, that, that was exactly my, my mentality too. And I was like, wow, they just like just sewed up everything uh, for that network that, that, and at that, that time that network wasn't even a thing. It was like nope. a, kind of a thought and now it's a thing. I also think that, I also think that reality TV really skewed everything. Like everybody went after that. Mm. And that there, there's a, there's other companies that went after reality based uh, content and uh, that was, that really, I, I, I think, again, I don't know television. I don't know that whole industry, but I think that that was a big disruption uh, in wrestling. And everybody started chasing that type of stuff and started getting away from the thing I love, which was athletics and wrestling and, and the pro wrestling aspect of it. Like, uh, but, but again, you know, I grew up there in that era when that's, that was all special and they're trying to cater to this, you know, newer, you know, faster paced audience, you know, that, 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 you know, didn't even know about, you know, you know, like Kamala just died and like, yeah. don't even know who Kamala is, you know? And, um, so that I, I can understand that, um, going after that, but I think that that's huge. Kind of one thing that I loved about wrestling, which was the, that's why I like it about new Japan. It's like, it's athletic. It's, it doesn't try to trick you every time they do something. Like, uh, I feel like wrestling is all booked now just to trick me. Like, oh, I thought that was coming. Nope, we're going to do something totally different. So, I mean, that, that kind of like, it, 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 you have to keep this kind of cadence going to kind of kind of build to things. I mean, TV shows do it. We all, we all come down on TV shows that don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, other things, you know, The Sopranos ended badly and people are still talking about that, yep. you know. So, um, but that, that's the whole thing. Um, but that just shows how, like, what a great show. It, it can even, you know, have it, a clunker at the end, you know, in some people's opinion. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, The Walking Dead. I don't know if you watched The Walking Dead ever, but they had, like, a big tease with, like, a character death, and they did a fake out, and everyone was like, oh, okay, so I guess he's not going to die. And then they ended up killing him again anyway. <laughs> so it was kind of like, what yeah. was the point of the fake out? And then yeah. that's when, like, I, and then I found out, Lots of people apparently turned it off for good, and they just went, yeah. "I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done being jerked around. I'm sorry. I'm done." And yeah. wrestling needs to learn how to do that as well. Um, how, do you need this many false finishes uh, every single night? 
no, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. start spreading those out a bit. You know, uh, we mentioned it before the Canadian destroyer thing. I mean, that's just, I, everyone likes to, to name check that as being the one thing, but it's really a, a lot of different moves is, is there's a lot of stuff that gets kind of spammed. Oh and, yeah. And it needs to kind of relax a bit. Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, and then that comes down to like like match structure. It's like I don't think there's really a definition of like what what kind of uh, match uh, they're supposed to be having. So I think they're always trying to get over their characters so much, and they're trying to stay within times. They're trying to keep on the scripted thing that the match seems to be like the last thing they worry about, right? Because they can now edit it all together, and uh, titles don't mean anything. So like, how can a title be prestigious? Yeah. Uh, that's where I think that New Japan has really done well, where they, they say like how many what what the title defense is, how many champions they've had. Um, you know, when someone says that I, I don't want the six man titles anymore, like we're gonna have a tournament because we need to fill these slots. Yeah. So it actually you know keeps all that and, and it keeps the interest of, you know, the people. That that's why I've followed I, I've kind of reinvigorated myself in the in the pandemic time uh by by watching that again. It's like it's it's been great because uh, and and their empty arena shows were nothing like the WWE ones. Oh, yeah. They were so great. Yeah, I, I just uh, there was one where, like I said, I haven't really watched WWE in a while. But every once in a while, you know, you see clips pop pop up on Twitter and everything. And I saw one where it was a guy. Uh, he did a sliding. He slid out and he did like a Canadian destroyer, right? Like under the rope, he did like a sliding yes. out to the floor. But it was very obvious in the first camera angle he was doing a baseball slide. And then they retaped the move wow. and cut it. And it was wow. very obvious. And I was like, you got to do a little better than that. I'm sorry. But if, if I could see the seams like immediately, I'm like, ah, come on, man. I know we're taping stuff, but you know, you have a little yeah. bit of respect for your audience. Yeah, And it's so funny because like, I mean, I see those, like I, a similar thing happened before with that. Uh, I can't, I can't remember the guy in WWE, what his name is, but he did a thing where he jumped. It was kind of like, uh, I think Leo Rush did it too. Or, or no, Ricochet, I think, did it where he did the flip and landed on his feet outside. And it's super impressive, but it's like, it's just more like a presentation. Like, I, I just did this stunt outside, but it's like, it doesn't lead to a victory. It doesn't lead, you know, that Canadian destroyer should have like, it would have been great if it was a count out or it led to something where you use another head move, you know, mm. another pile driver where it's like, that puts you out. But it was just more, it was more like filler. So it's, you know, and as someone who, uh, I, I mean, it's funny now that, that now that I'm out of wrestling, it's, it's so much easier to analyze wrestling because you, you, you're, when you're a wrestler, you're trying to get that reaction from a crowd. And now in a non-crowd environment, like what exactly is the mission? Yeah. You know, you know, so you would think it would be to win the match, but the, the way that the matches go, like winners and losers really don't matter. Yeah, I thought uh, when Scott Loss was on here, he made a really good point that I never thought of. He was like, because he was a wrestler and I'm not. And he was like, oh, I can tell that like the pacing's off in the match. Yes. I can tell that normally they're, they're like waiting for some kind of a crowd reaction for something, but then they're not. Yeah. So then they just kind of keep going and it, yes. and it messes up the flow. And I'm like, interesting. Like, I can't really notice it because, you know, I'm not a wrestler. So, but yeah. I'm like, I'm like, that's very interesting. Like, that's something, you know, I imagine might drive you insane if you're a wrestler and you're watching it. But um, I hate to turn this into a, WWE bitch fest because <laughs> this is an indie wrestling thing, but I just want to also point out that in the 10 or 15 years or so that I stopped watching, they decided to do something interesting, quote unquote, with their camera angles by zooming in and out yeah. during every move. Yeah. And so now even when I just look for highlights of stuff, because I heard a match was good, I'm like, I can't watch this. 
this is really bad. So I don't understand what they're doing. To me, AEW's camera work is better, but there's still some stuff that annoys me. My favorite camera work is New Japan. New Japan, they they film everything like it's a sport. You can see all the moves clearly. <laughs> you know what's happening. You know, if somebody's grabbing someone's arm to get ready to do something, you see when he's grabbing the arm. Like, yeah. you know when it's going to happen. I'm like, that's yeah. me. And they're really good at that because if you think about it, like New Japan actually does storytelling when they do those, like then they like, like when the bell rings, they, I mean, they always have that great shot where it would just like go, you know, pan straight in. It goes right to the ring. You know, it tells like, you know, the, that's the way that they, they would do it. Every so often when there's like in the middle of a match, they would fade away and they show the belt. You know, remember it's for this. This is the belt that we're going for. So they, they're telling little stories, uh, even in the moves at the end of the match, like if something has the guy is working on the hand, they would like key in on the hand and then the guy would come and stomp on it. It's just those little subtle storytelling elements. Um, but like if you're shaking it, it's like, it's all it's saying is yeah. like, there's an earthquake or like, you know, is the, is the cameraman being assaulted as well? So it's, I understand why they're doing it. The, the effect I don't think is, is I think the, 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 the effect is lost in a sense because of that. Um, I think the only company that really pulled it off was like when ECW would do it because they wouldn't even do it that extreme. They would just like, sometimes the wide cam would just be like, Oh, and that was all it would do. It would just go in real quick and then back out. Like when somebody was yeah. doing like a power driver in the middle of the ring or something. But you bring up it. a good point. A fan cam, you know, it was like yeah. that, that. It was like, it was all, it's un, it was shaky footage. And it was like, it just seems like outlaw and rogue and stuff like that, but you're right. But then they kind of incorporated it into their regular show uh, as well as like that kind of like, that grittiness it was it, it didn't it match it was, the rest of the promotion it was unrefined and that's yeah. what uh, ecw was all about you know we're, we're the rogue we're the punk rock we're, we're all those guys absolutely yeah so when you see something super polished like WWE is you know and then all of a sudden they're like shaking the kit you're like why what's going on yeah <laughs> it's anyway uh but back to the indies because yeah yeah <laughs> of course of course uh so uh, I also wanted to know uh, maybe about the European vacation uh, that you guys did. I wanted to know how you found, you know, wrestling in, in England and in Germany. Like, what was that like? So Super Dragon was actually going over to Germany for, I think, WXW uh, during that time. And he was uh, wrestling uh, El Generico at that time. Uh, uh, Kevin Steen was going over there as well. Um, and they, they, they were having these really great matches. And one of the things that super dragon told me was that like, you know, these crowds are amazing. Like they, that there was no seats and they would just cram them into this little club and they would get in, you know, on the ring and the ring was a little bit smaller. So it wasn't like you could do a lot of stuff on the ring, but I think that was kind of to the advantage of, uh, you know, people that, 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 could do without rope stuff. You could do rope stuff, but it wasn't, you know, super like you couldn't do a lot of springboards and stuff like that. But, um, but the crowds were so like, they loved it. And it was such an intimate feeling. Uh, I think on our, on our first uh, night was Germany uh, in Essen. And, and I wrestled Tommy end who is now Alistair black. Uh, he was just a skinny kid at that time. And uh, mm. I love that, that he's gone on to do great things. And, uh, uh, and it was, so it was Excalibur, myself and Ronan versus, uh, Tommy and Tenkwa and Top Gun Talwar. 
And then one of the things that, that um, I, I'm not sure if Top Gun uh, touched on this, but they, they actually, uh, Tenkwa said after the match, he goes, oh my gosh, we're so happy to, to wrestle you. It's been a pleasure. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. You know, it's like, you, know, you guys are great and, and it's been a lot of fun. But they're like, no, no, you don't understand. Like we, we used to get videotapes of you wrestling in Revolution Pro. So we're like, that blew my mind that mm. somebody in Germany was actually watching the stuff that we were doing. Like I say, it would have been uh, like seven years earlier. And it's like, that's crazy that it got all the way over there and that people were really like, like what well, it, it inspired them to do this. Like it was crazy. And that, that was, you know, super dragon, his vision of everything and wrestling and w- who we should be. He really infused us with a lot of, like more character, but also like uh, helped us push the limits of what we could do. I'm not sure that I would have done half of what I did um, risk wise if it wasn't for him. Um, and uh, so th- it was, it was great in that sense. He helped us structure matches uh, better. The The next night was in um, England um, and uh, uh, wrestled Spud uh, Drake Maverick now and, and WWE. Uh, so there, there, there was, that was so much fun because that was, a, even though it was like a probably an hour plane flight, it was it's a totally different crowd, just as hot. They, they weren't beating on the ring or anything, but they were super respectful. And it was, it was so much fun just to see, like have people know who we were and what we did and PWG and something we had, you know, just a vision in our minds at one time was like, we went to Europe to do this. It yeah. was absolutely incredible. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, so I guess that's a pretty universal feeling because when Masawa came to wrestle here for Pro Wrestling Iron, he told Michael Modest afterward that he was pleasantly surprised and shocked that they started the Misawa chant. Yes. And he was like, and this is like Misawa, who's like, you know, like in Japan, he's he's everything. But even he, like, he comes here, he's just like, I can't believe they knew the chant. Yes. How weird. Like, even he yeah. was like, oh, man. But so, that's, you know, that's how we are with wrestling. Like, like Kishimbo Kamen said the same thing. Like, he, because there's a whole cadence in the, in the Ebison and, and Kishimbo matches where it's like, you know, Kushimbo, Kushimbo, they do that, then they do Ebison, but then they do it for the referee, whoever the referee was. So he was amazed that they actually knew the whole cadence of what they do before a match. And it's just because we all are wrestling nerds and we watch yeah. too much wrestling. I wanted to also kind of touch on, uh, you know, all the traveling you're doing, all, all the stuff you guys are doing, but I wanted to know about road stories. I think uh, wrestlers, oh. they, wrestlers kind of live, I, I call it the second childhood, uh, where you're buddying up with, you know, other grown adults, but you're basically doing sleepovers and oh, crashing boy. and doing all kinds of stuff. So what was, uh, any funny road stories you could think of anything that pops into your mind? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, my road stories are brutal only because I used to do all the driving. Mm. Um, I used to have, um, <laughs> a 98 Mustang that, uh, I think I got like when I first, right about a year after I moved here. So the fact that I got a new car, um, uh, meant that uh, I was going to drive everywhere, and I was I was uh, eager and ambitious to do all these things, so it didn't really matter to me. But there was there was a lot of uh, uh, I, I can say I, I should actually uh, go back and uh, curse everybody, but um, they should really thank me a lot because I did a lot of driving during that time. And we used to go up. I was t- telling you about Gabe earlier. We used to drive up from 
the the guys from a- Anaheim would drive up to where I lived in Silver Lake, which is close to Dodger Stadium. Then I would pick that. Then that we I would drive from there up to we would drive up to Hayward for uh, gym wars yep. up there. Would we stay over? No, we would drive back that night. And if you know, um, like gym wars were on Friday, so if you know LA, so driving from Long Beach or uh, you know Anaheim, so they would probably have to leave at like noon. They probably get there about two. I would get into traffic about three if I'm lucky, but that that is like in LA, awful traffic. So I would have yeah. to hit that and then into San Francisco. And then wrestle and do all that stuff, turn right about right back around and do the same thing. And it was, there was times where it was, it was, uh, I say it, driving when you're asleep or, or, or drowsy is more dangerous than driving drunk because when you're driving drunk, I'm uh, not speaking from experience, but um, at least you're trying to drive. But like when you're, when you're nodding off, especially after there's a lot of adrenaline in wrestling, obviously. So doing those long trips of going up there and then you, you eat something and you're, and we're not leaving until like maybe after midnight and getting home like four o'clock in the morning, five in the morning. So those were in the early years, those were grinds. Those were, those were awful. And then you would have like fringe people that would come with you because we always had to have somebody to tape, right? So this other person that wasn't in there, that, that, that at that time, it was all about getting footage and putting it out there, you know, getting footage of our matches. So um, my, I have a story of this one guy. So I, I actually, instead of driving back to where I lived in LA, I had to drive back to Anaheim, which was brutal because I would have had to come back again. So I did some crazy stuff. But he um, he was the last one to get dropped off, and uh, I go, oh, so uh, where do you live? And he goes, um, uh, I don't know. I, How do you not know? And he goes, uh, uh, yeah. I'm like, I've never um, I, I've never driven this way, and so I don't know where I live. And I'm like, so I'm not. I'm super tired. I've had it like a day and a half of wrestling, and I'm like, I'm just re- I'm ready just to open the door and just turn sharply to the left and let this guy roll out. But, um, you know, the, the wrestling kind of attracts like a lot of people like that, that, that don't sweat the details about where they live. They're mm-hmm. like, Oh, just go down. I, I think it's by beach by the, by the beach. And it turns out it was beach Boulevard. And of course we went North instead of South. And this is like, so th- those were the type of days that I don't miss. Um, but then, you know, when you, when you start doing more traveling, I was just taking bigger people like t- to wrestling shows. Like we would go to Bakersfield and like Chris Hero and Davey Richards. Like we'd go up there or Cole Cabana. And, we're, and then it was like, there was a lot of driving between here and LAX. So I was the driving guy a lot. Um, but in addition to all the other things I did, there was other people that did driving and Top Gun had a, like a, a basically a, a room where everybody stayed. So it was like, you know, one of those, if this wall, if these walls could talk, type of thing. So that's, that's basically it. Nothing, nothing too tragic, uh, happened on the road. Um, I'll probably remember something later, but that, that was really, when you talk about road stories, that, that was my, uh, my, another one of my gifts to to the road was my driving. I got everybody there safely. Right. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, especially, you know, new car, they're probably like, oh, and you got AC? Everything's wonderful. Oh, You're that was even driving. a bigger thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> especially I, living I, in SoCal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, brother, it's about that time. The booker has ran out. It's time wow. to take it home. So uh, we got some, although I will say, uh, 
you are very uh, filled with knowledge, and I might ask you at some point to come back on again. But oh, I love it. Until then, uh, let's go ahead and these are some rapid fire questions. You probably know the deal already, but you know if you feel like any stories or any digressions, please feel free. There's no hard rules on time limits. Uh, you know. So here we go. Uh, what is your favorite move or hold that you did not use? Oh, great one. So, wow, that is a great, great one. Because I, I, there's so many, when I learned like uh, Lucha and I would watch all the Torimon, T2P, there were so many of them that I just wanted to do just to see if I could do it in a match. They were so intricate. And um, there was this one that I want to say that, um, oh gosh, now I'm, now I'm going to forget that guy's name. Um, what, there was a there was a, a lucha guy that that did this really it was uh, something special and I know that that uh, it's going to come to me right after we we shut down, but there there was there was a move that I wanted to do that that uh, was like that it was such an awesome pinning combination that that involved like you know grabbing the arms from behind twisting them over you know you know, do this whole thing but it was so fluid and beautiful that um, and I tried to use more lucha um, in, in my matches uh, because it was one of those things that looked so intricate, but at, uh, but at times it was like, they were really simple to do. And all, all the, the, your opponent has to do is actually just kind of sit there and just go with it. And, and, but, but they would be so tied up in the end that it was, it, it was so impressive. So, um, I can't, um, I can't remember right off, but there's, there's all these wacky, we call them wacky Lucha submissions that, that yeah. we wanted to use. Yeah. That I've always wanted to use. I, I tried to get away from like the head drops and stuff like that. I mean, those are the ones that obviously people love to see because they're so brutal. But, um, like when I watch like Zack Sabre, like do all those, uh, Lucha, I mean, those things look amazing and they're so fluid and he can go from float from one to another to another. And that's, what's so fun about, uh, Lucha. That's why I loved watching like him versus Will Ospreay because their styles can be any more different. So when they're like fighting each other, it's just like a great one of those, like, you know, when you see two completely different styles fight each other, it's so wonderful. I love. Stuff yeah. Like that. And, and the announcer would always say like, you know, you've taken away 90% of his offense by yeah. keeping him grounded. You know, like that's, it's, it's so true. Cause you can't do that stuff off the ropes if you're tied up. Speaking of head drops and such, what's the, uh, what's the injury tally count? Oh, this is one I actually say to people that didn't know that I wrestled. Um, I say that uh, I have chipped teeth, uh, lacerations, uh, separated shoulder, and more concussions than I care to admit. So um, I'm lucky that I that I, I've I've uh, gotten to uh, what 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 my friends say an advanced age. Um, I, I actually, I don't have back trouble. Uh, I don't have knee trouble, uh, little things, uh, tweak like my shoulder. I've lost kind of a lot of strength in my shoulder. I separated my shoulder back in high school and baseball, but, um, and that eventually it, it, it's just like one of the things that you kind of work around. Uh, but I've lost a lot of strength in my, my shoulder that I'm, I'm currently trying to rehab. Scott Loss actually tried to get me back into like a push up regimen. And I was like having a lot of more trouble than I expected in my shoulder. So um, I'm a big baseball fan, so I was thinking about having um, the Tommy John surgery uh, mm -hmm. or the rotator cuff surgery. No, I'm just, just because I'm a big fan. But, uh, but I, I could theoretically have rotator cuff surgery um, at this point, but I'm not going to 
not going to risk it. So I'm just going to try to, you know, work it back in. Um, I'm about 20 pounds under my, my fighting weight as it were, uh, when I was wrestling. So, um, but yeah, it's like that the injury thing is, is something that, um, uh, I'm just glad I didn't destroy myself in my twenties. I destroyed mm. myself in my thirties. Yeah. So it was, uh, I have, I had a little bit of buffer. Uh, speaking of injuries, um, and you don't have to name any names, but, uh, have you encountered, uh, working with someone who maybe was a little bit more, I know you guys like to work stiff, but maybe someone that was a little bit more stiff than you were expecting. And you kind of had to push back a little bit in the match. So funny because, um, in our Lucha training, we would, we would actually go to these Lucha, um, uh, like training sessions with like the luchadors. And at the time, um, you know, cause I was wrestling with like Superboy, if you remember him, he was mm-hmm. in like Michinoku pro, he was out here. Um, uh, Durango kid was another guy that was, um, he was in new Japan. That's another name. I, I can't remember. But one of the things that when we would go to these practices, we were told like, you know, kind of watch out for yourself because there's guys there that are not going to like, like that these gringos are coming in. And, you know, even though like, I like, I'm technically, my last name is Montragon. So, so if you, if you roll your R's, you know, so, but, but a lot of people it wouldn't consider me Spanish or, or Mexican. So, um, so, but they didn't like these, you know, they probably like invading these territories, right. And trying to learn this art form. But, um, I had a guy one time I, you know, I had my, my shoulder, I had bursitis in my, my, um, in my elbow. And I had like a, a elbow pad on it. And this one Lucha guy was, would give me a hard time about it. He goes, why do you wear that? Why do you wear that? And I'm like, uh, uh, cause I have an injury. He goes, yeah, you can't, you can't be in here with like, you know, that. Cause it was, it was always about like, you know, not wearing knee guards and not wearing elbow pads. And I'm like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to protect myself because I know my body. And I, it was, there was a lot of that, that kind of like false stuff. Or if you would get in a hold, you, they always said to like, to kind of be aware because they would do the little joint things like, you know, the, the elbow or the bone on bone thing or the bone on the hip. Like they would take the hip bone and put, put their elbow into oh, you wow. and just, yeah, the little stuff that, that you wouldn't, um, that you couldn't see, but you would, you know, they would take advantage of you like that. So I'm not saying every, everybody would do that or I've had that done to me, but that was always a thing to be leery of. Um, you know, but you know, there, there's other people like in, in the American pro wrestling that were more kind of like, um, I don't know, just, just fussy and just didn't like the kids, uh, mm. aspect of, of being in, in wrestling, even though these kids eventually come, you know, are yeah. seasoned veterans and remember all that stuff. And when they're looking for work and yeah, you know, they don't get that, they get that treatment. Um, they're not accepted widely or, or looked upon favorably. So yeah, there's always those little things, but, um, I've, I forgot about a lot of that stuff, but it was very prominent. Um, uh, but yeah. It reminds me of uh, well, Luke Hawks right now. He tags with his uh, son, actually. Uh, his son's maybe 21, 22, really yeah. young. Yeah. Uh, good worker, though, for his, for his age, only being in the business a couple of years, pretty good worker. Um, but when they went, did wrestling in the, in, they went to the crash, Lucha, yeah. in Mexico, uh, they did a tag match, and his kid got taken advantage of hard. They basically took, oh, away, really? they basically took away all of his shine in the match. They, they screwed him yes. completely in the, in the thing. And afterwards, he's like, well, you know, he's, he's, he's got to learn that, you know, there's only so much I can do to help. Like, yes, you got it. You still got it. You're in the ring. You still got to work. Like, so yeah, we used to to have those matches. We used to have matches and they would fast fast count us. Like, like, like we go, 
And I was like, what the hell is that count? Like, it was like, we saw, I saw this guy, that's not his count. They would do that little stuff like that just to kind of see what you would do and kind of mm. push all that. And I was like, wow, like, you know, like this happens, you know, and, and, uh, and, but, but it's like, it's also part of the, again, it's part of the punk rock, like learning yeah. about it. And, uh, you know, it, I, I always say too, it's like, it's learning how the, how the hot dogs are made. You know, you're going to find out some of the bad things about hot dogs if you find out how they're made. Well, it's kind of like uh, you hear a lot of the stories about, you know, some of the the world famous superstars that you grew up like watching, you know. Uh, Shawn Michaels was like my favorite wrestler growing up completely. Oh, yeah, 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 and then yeah, I found yeah. out he was a dick. And I was like, oh, well, that's that kind of sucks. I kind of wish I didn't know that. But hey, it is what it is. Uh, so I feel like there's a lot of that with wrestling. Once you start oh, yeah. to fi- find out like the ins and outs, you start to kind of appreciate some things a little bit more and other things a little bit less, but yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. They always say, don't meet your heroes. I mean, I met, I met Roddy Piper. He couldn't have been, he, he was so sweet. And it was, I was really lucky to meet him because he was one of the influential people uh, growing up that, that I loved uh, during that time. So to meet him, it was great, but they always say like, especially in this business, or I just want to say this business, a wrestling business. Um, it's uh, yeah, there's, they, they can eat, they might be having a bad day. They're usually, they're not, sometimes people are not very sociable. Yeah. So they're not going to always have like, you know, Hey everybody. Hi. You know, it's like, they're just kind of like gruff and yeah. uh, that's just the way that they are. So um, yeah, I mean, well, I hate to think that I had a bad day and met someone and that's the way they think for me forever. Well, I know when I was, I was like working I was doing a, a website for a company called big time wrestling. I was doing that. I was taking photos and whatever. So I got to meet a lot of guys coming through. I mean, uh, they would bring in guys like, you know, Billy Gunn when he's still in the WWF, yeah. like when he was still wrestling regularly. Like they brought in Bret Hart for autograph signings. They brought in like all these guys and I had to learn pretty quick how to not mark out because, you know, yes. Yes. nobody wants that guy around. So then like I, I, I learned mostly just to talk to them about anything except for wrestling that all of a sudden they were very like responsive. <laughs> they were yeah. like, they were like, they're like, oh yeah, you know what? I did like, I did see that. Well, like they were talking about like movies and shit. They're just like, oh yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay. And all of a sudden they would like, relax a bit because yes last thing you want is you know for hearts i'm not gonna be like so wrestlemania 12 um <laughs> you know it's yeah he doesn't, he doesn't right. want that he doesn't want yeah that. i actually uh, during that time i we actually went up to big time wrestling and um i think buddy rose uh was wrestling up at that time and actually we picked him up at the i had to pick him up at the airport and take him to his hotel and i got it was such such a trip just that, i mean like <laughs> buddy rose like as like yeah. as, like a lot of people don't know who he is but if uh but but the, he was like a, you know, a guy that was, he was in the, actually in the very first WrestleMania, the very first match of WrestleMania, like a lot of people don't even know, yeah. um, but he was under a mask, but, but, but the, but he was, um, when you start meeting these people on a personal level, it's like, I kind of this guy, you know, it's like, and then I, I made a wrong turn. So he was like, uh, you know, he's all like, Oh, this is wrong turn Mondragon or something like that. So we actually, he actually was really nice. I mean, but the, I heard that there are people that are not great, but, um, but that's, I mean, that's in every, every yeah. profession, but you're, but you're right. You know, you can't be too starstruck. And then when you start treating them as humans and stuff like that, it's like, you find out it's like, you have a lot in common with them. Yeah. Is uh, we got a lot of double up from, you know, SoCal to, you know, we got like Kazarian and Daniels and all these guys mm-hmm. would come up all the time. And like, I remember the longest conversation I ever had with, da- with Kazarian was about Metallica. It wasn't anything to do with wrestling. Yes, <laughs> no, we were just yeah. like, we we're just like, I think oh, I forgot what album had just come out, but we were just bullshitting about Metallica for like, for like 15 minutes. And that was all, that was the longest conversation I ever had with a guy. It was based on Metallica. So yeah. I, ha- I, ha- I have a funny thing about uh, Kazarian. Uh, I have, I have a one to know record over Kazarian. I have a one to know record over Spanky. 
and I'm one and zero in Caraco and Hall, and uh, and I that all of that I should be zero for one, easily. Like the <laughs> like like there's no way I should have that. Um, but all uh, Frankie's an awesome guy. Frankie's amazing, and uh, all good friends. And uh, so that that's it's funny that you say Kazarian because I always say like it's, I, I only wrestled him once, and uh, and it was in PWG too. He was one of those guys where like when I saw him in Daniel's work in NorCal, I was like. Oh man, like these are the like the two smoothest workouts I've ever seen in the ring. Like I was just like, they are so slick. I I I still pop, and it's like you know, especially now you see you know six thirty splashes and all this stuff. I yeah. still pop for the for the springboard twisting leg drop that that Kazarian yeah. does because he just says it so smooth. I'm just like, oh, yes. that's so great, so great. Yeah, and it's he's he's one of those guys that when I first started here in SoCal, like he was a staple. Like he 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 was the guy and and the guy that everybody kind of wanted to be uh, at the time. And the fact that he's still going, I'm super proud of him. And uh, Daniels is the same same way. Like he was another SoCal guy that was like, you know, it's so great that they're together. And now with Scorpio Sky, you know, as, as SoCal Uncensored is, it's it, it's kind of does my heart good to see them all together and under that banner and, and definitely uh, representing SoCal like that because they, they, they've been around for um, as long as I've, you know, even known about wrestling here in SoCal. Yeah, as a California indie wrestling nerd, uh, AEW bought a lot of credit with me immediately by like putting like tag team titles on Scorpio Sky oh, and Kazarian first. I was like, well, okay, you guys can you guys can mess up a bit, and I'm going to give you guys credit for it because you, you've already you've already put a lot of what I'm doing. Now it looks like they're going to push Scorpio Sky in singles, which is great. So I'm excited which is for that. crazy because I was at one of his first training sessions, Scorpio yeah. Sky, you know, t- encouraging him to to drop kick me up here. And, and, uh, like, and then he, like, he like almost went over my head. Like he was like, got such good hops. He's, yeah. he's an amazing athlete. Yeah. My friend Jesus, he, he booked him at a Lucha show when he was still masked in, uh, oh, in San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. It was like a nightclub. It was a crazy show. Yeah. But, yeah. Super cool. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, how about some crazy fan interactions besides someone stealing your mask? Cause that's not, that's just a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, crazy fan interactions. Um, so what we wrestled in Alaska, uh, we wrestled in Fairbanks and Anchorage and one of the, uh, I can't remember which show it was, but at one show, uh, they told us that, uh, you know, it was a pretty big arena. So, and it would, they would uh, drop the light. So there's like maybe five to, uh, 7,000 people there. So it was, I mean, in Alaska, they were hungry for anything like wrestling. Right. Yeah. So at one, the promoter came up to us at one point, he says at some point, and I'm not saying in your match, but at some point in the night, there's going to be a fan and he's going to run into the ring. Now, um, and we're just like, oh, is this like a plan thing? Or is it like a, is, he goes, no, it's just like this guy, it's like his thing to do. He always at some point in a show runs into the ring. The, the, the caveat was that they asked us, please don't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said. They go, please do not kill him, uh, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, but the, he didn't run in in our match. I think he ran in like during the Brian Christopher match. Um, but that was, that was a, a funny, but as far as myself, um, I think I really knew that I had made it when I was wrestling in a, uh, East LA Lucha show 
And an old lady came up to me. Uh, I, I rolled outside the ring, and an old lady came up to me with a rolled up newspaper, and and kind of didn't whack me. I, I won't call it a whack. It more just like like gave me like a little uh, tap to the back of the head because she didn't like the, my my moves, and uh, I thought I had really made it at that point. Like I was I was finally uh, a luchador. Um, Based yeah. on all the lucha guys we've interviewed. Yeah, that is that is the thing. It is an old lady will hit you with something at some point at a lucha show if you're really bringing the heat. Because yeah, yeah we, luckily it wasn't a cane. I had so one of the guys I interviewed a, a lady straight up with her cane came started whacking at him as he was trying yeah. to leave the ring. So yeah, yeah, there you go. When I wrestled for Lucha Vavum, I mean, uh, that because uh, we would always like. Uh, are you familiar with Lucha Vavum? Have mm-hmm. you ever seen any of their shows? So yeah. like they have this big kind of like like kind of uh, walkway out there. So we would do a lot of dives. Uh, into the crowd like that and uh there was um there was some there was some interesting fan interactions after we had uh had done our dives um some of them uh drunk some of them um i'll say frisky some of them um aggressive and uh yeah so that that was always an interesting uh you never knew what you were going to get um in that and uh they had they had a lot of security but um, when you do that and you kind of go over security and into the crowd, uh, different people do different things, let's just say. Besides hurting you, what's the worst thing someone could do in a match when you're working with them? Berate someone. There's, there's a lot of uh, – I wrestled someone who uh, I, I won't say, but he was an established uh, veteran who wrestled for like WWE. And uh, during, during my match, uh, he didn't feel it was going the way that he wanted it and was just just ber- like not berating me like in a way that's like you know saying dumb things but just like um saying things like oh this is so stupid like you don't know what you're doing and you know or do this and do that and and uh and uh like it, it was really so i understand because he was the veteran in, in the thing but like i i had i had done my time at that point and I had, um, I think that I was doing, everything was going fine in my estimation of what everything, but it was like this kind of running dialogue. Um, and it really took me out of the match. And when yeah. you do that, it, it really kind of like, uh, I had a lot of, I did, I did, I, I, what my head wasn't in the match after that. So I was like, that's when you just are, that's when you have the most uh, opportunity for, for danger and do something dumb and just do something out of like screw this. Like, I, like if this guy doesn't like this, well, I'm going to give him something not to like, like, yeah. and, um, so I didn't want to be that guy. I was never that guy. I never got into wrestling to be that guy. Um, but there's a lot of people who take this, um, seriously and I understand why they take it seriously. Um, but there's that, that's that. So doing that type of things. And I've had other people just like, you know, if something doesn't go off as well as you thought it could, um, like that sometimes they'll say like, well, that sucked. You know, it's like they'll, they, you know, communicate with each other. They're like, that sucked. And I get that, you know, it's like, but I, it's, you still have to, you know, one move does not make a match yeah. unless it's a finish. If it's a finish that you blow totally understandable, I can understand why about being upset for that. But if you just, you know, if you slip on something or that's, that's wrestling, that's the struggle. So yeah, to have that, um, yeah, it's just, that's the only thing that I could say. I mean, it's all, maybe it's more personal to me because I was like, I go, that was, that, that made a, a bad situation even worse, you know? So, yeah. 
well, it's like, you know, if you were working any other kind of job, you, you know, like if you're two guys working at, you know, Walgreens or whatever, and it's like, oh, look at the way you're stacking stuff. Right. Oh, look at the way right. you're doing it. Like eventually yeah. you're going to be like, you know, fuck this job, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, yeah. it's, you're still both professionals. You're still both working with each other. It's kind of like, there has to be a little bit of decorum. Yeah. And, and, and guaranteed the crowd has no knowledge of what's going on that, yeah. that anything was, was like that, but it's like, eh, it becomes what it is. And, and, uh, but you know, I would say that's like, that's so minimal uh, what I'm saying that, that everybody that I've wrestled, uh, I would say like 90% of the people that I wrestled were like super awesome. So I have no complaints. Speaking of super awesome, uh, was there a time that you were legitimately surprised by a worker in the ring? Maybe just the way they did things, the way they came, you know, maybe it was someone you hadn't really worked with before that you were like, holy crap, this guy really knows what he's doing. This guy is amazing. Yeah. And, and you probably wouldn't uh, know who he is. Uh, he was actually a, a, like a Lucha kid really at that time. Like, I think he was like 16 at the time. And he, um, he actually got thrown into a singles match with me. This was maybe like 2005 or six. And we literally had about five minutes to plan a match. I'm, I'm being conservative when I say five, like we just had to go out and have a match. And it was like, okay, do this, 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 and this. Um, eventually I'm going to do this and this, uh, just watch this and then this. And uh, he goes, okay. So went out there. Oh my God. Like this kid killed it. Like he goes, I'm going to go do this. I go, okay. He like, he would just do all this like crazy dives and, and I mean, dives in the ring, but it was like these kind of, kind of those, those, uh, like springboard arm drags that, that, that you know, Lucha, there's yeah. all this pomp and circumstance for just like an arm drag. I think that's where Excalibur and I kind of got our arm drag, you know, the arm drag context for, because everything is like super like 450, you know, an arm drag, you know, it's like, that's where we kind of got that. So this kid just came out and just like tore it up. And I, I remember going back and saying, I'm like, oh, dude, that was like, awesome like I, anytime you want to wrestle like please like i would love to wrestle you again and i never did unfortunately but um but you're right i also um i mean i when i, I wrestled austin aries on on uh, one of the the uh, battle of los angeles and i expected that to be a match that I, I, w- I was actually honestly pretty nervous about it only because it was like the battle of Los Angeles and kind of what it's become. And uh, I was super happy with how, um, you know, at that time, Austin Aries was not only super, he was super over at the time, but not only that, but just a, a super talent and was going places at the time. And he was, uh, it was great to have a, a great match with him and he was super easy to work with. Cole Cabana, same thing. Um, even like uh, Kikutaro, like uh, he was one of my heroes. I can't believe that I wrestled with him and against him so many times. He was the reason why I went to Japan. But like you, you have this expectation of who they are and like the perception of them. And you go, oh my God, this guy is so much better than I even gave him credit for because he does the little things. He's solid uh, as a base, solid as, as just like technically, like giving me little tips on like, Oh, you should do this, this, and then this, and then I'm like, oh my god, you're right. So like the the mind of of wrestling is just as much as the physical part of it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff that you don't really appreciate till later in wrestling too. Like uh, when I heard uh, again on Bischoff's podcast, he was talking about how why Hogan loved Big Boss Man, and he was like, oh yeah, Big Boss Man for a big guy could bump like a champion. He made. Yeah. 
Hulk Hogan look like a superhero. Yeah. And then like I went back and I started watching some of the stuff like on the network and I was like, holy crap, Bosman could move. Yeah. And like, you don't think about it, but then like you start to appreciate that stuff a lot more once you're like, you know, you're not, well, you know, I feel like you, you go through stages as a wrestling fan, you know, you're like, well, this person's not doing anything in the ring. He sucks. And like, but then later on you realize he's actually doing more work than the other guy maybe because he's got to take a lot of that stuff. Yeah. There was a guy named uh, Grand Hamada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually met Grand Hamada when I re- and wrestled in 2005 at an Osaka Pro Show. And, and I, I was super like uh, enthusiastic to meet him because he's a type of guy who is a smaller guy, junior heavyweight, has, it has had more like junior titles than like anybody. Like it would take a, you know, an hour to read off every one of them, but no one wants to be Grand Hamada. Like, uh, but he's worked with everybody and he's a solid base Remember, And I, it was great to see his resurgence in 96 when he was part of that ECW mm-hmm. uh, Michinoku crew. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people talk about like, everybody wants to be like Jushin Liger, uh, another guy that I was super happy to meet. I met him in uh, I met him in uh, in 2005 as well, and I was like, everybody wants to be Liger, right? And and uh, but the things that Liger and Grand Hamada do is they can base, they can work with anybody. They're interchangeable. They they know how to to evolve and devolve into different things, and it's like they're, they're super like confident, and that's something that you. You know, when you talk about a Shawn Michaels, I'm not sure that that he was able to adapt. He could be that one awesome thing, but he couldn't like work with everybody. Yeah. So and and uh, but that's one of the beauties of Shawn Michaels that that he was like that because yeah. that again, that arrogance is is part of his persona. Um, but yeah, like um, uh, Mr. Excitement used to have a, a shirt that says "Grand Hamada is my daddy." And I, I knew that we were going to instantly bond when he had that shirt because, like, to appreciate this guy who was very unappreciated um, was awesome. So, shout out to Grand Hamada. Yeah. Speaking of uh, XPW and stuff, one guy who I, I, I always appreciated, uh, got to meet him because I knew Luke back in the day, was uh, Vic Grimes. Was a guy that oh, I was yeah. like, that guy, man, despite being able to move for his size really well, also took a lot from a lot of people as far as like, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I watch wrestling now and people don't know how to catch anyone outside the ring anymore. People just like do like suicide dives and stuff. Yeah. And sometimes they're like, hey man, you let, like everyone pointed that, that, uh, that moonsault that Cody did off the cage. Yeah. Yeah. Like Wardlow stood like a foot too much to the side. He barely caught his shoulder. I was like, dude, yeah, you, gotta, yeah. you know, come on, man. Uh, but, and like, but in, fair, in fairness, that, that, in fairness, that one is like catching a fly ball. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> but, but then like another one, like Ray Phoenix did, you know, and he's amazing. And he did like a crazy, like spinning thing to the outside. And there was like five people outside and somehow not one of them managed to catch him. And he just landed on his back. And it's kind of like, come on guys. And I just yeah. look at like Vic Grimes old matches and Vic Grimes would be like, no, right on my face. It's fine. Just, just like land right on. <laughs> like he didn't give a shit. And I don't know. I just, I just really appreciate someone like that. Who's just like, I'll do anything. I don't yeah, care. It's like landing on a big bed, but also yeah. by the same respect, um, I also think that people that are doing dives, suicide dives are actually, it's almost like, a, like an arrow. Yeah. It's supposed to be an offensive move. You're supposed to, you know, like it's almost like this knockout punch. Um, so the, I, I think that um, if I can uh, say one thing, it's like doing those dives more straight and as an arrow, it actually like, it, it would actually improve a lot of the, the 
the fault of the people that are catching them. So if you just you know zero in on their chest instead of over them or trying to land on top of them, yeah, uh, different. Uh, all right. Uh, has a booker tried to stiff you on money? I tried. Uh, succeeded. Are you kidding me? That's part of wrestling, and, and it's unfortunate because like um, I wish I wish some wrestling was treated more like a legitimate business. I think that there's a lot of the reason why that happens is there's. Um, wrestling is kind of sometimes, um, the, the enamor is wrestling, right? So the business part of it is out of it, even though that, you know, there's an inherent thing that you're going to get paid for this. And, yeah. and granted there's, there's broken promises. There's all this type of stuff. I was lucky. And I have to say this because I never did wrestling for money. If it, if I did it for money, I would have a much different perspective on this. Um, the fact that I was able to do it and do all the things I did and get compensation for it um, was cherry on top for me. Um, uh, I lost more um, money in wrestling than than gained it, um, but I'm not. I, I don't look back on it uh, with with you know any scorn, a little bit of scorn, but but um, not enough to to. I, yeah. I, I say it's like an old girlfriend. I'll see her and I'm like, oh yeah, her, you know. So it's like I, that's the way I kind of look at it now. But, but yeah, and uh, there's been instances where, where uh, the pay hasn't been there or are, are more things that for me were promises that, that were not fulfilled or people coming back and, you know, just like, like all the petty politics of it all. Uh, I never, I never liked any of that stuff. And it was always seemed to be inherent with certain people. And uh, these certain people always got a second, third, 15th, hundredth chance. And I'm just like, you know, wh- where's the wrestling that I know, like the street justice that would, you know, yeah. not let this guy run again. Like, you know, like uh, definitely let this guy know and he can't come around anymore unless he pays these people properly. But but that's um, again, it's like we're, we're a lot of us were too in love with wrestling to even like they're like, oh, we have to pay our dues and do all this stuff. Well, yes and no. You get to a point yeah. where, um, but a lot of that stuff isn't established. And when you're working for somebody for the first time, like, do you still have to pay your dues with them? And it's like, you know, in my graphic design job, if I go and work another job, do I have to pay my dues with them? You know, it's like, you know, I understand it's, it's like a little subculture, but I wish it was treated a little bit more, a little bit better as far as um, monetarily and business wise. Yeah, I think, I think Scott Loss put it pretty well, but he's like, you know, when he does like art commissions, he's like, yeah, you know, I get half the money up front. Yeah, because you know, I, I you know to 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 guarantee that I'm at least getting something for my work here, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah. especially wrestling now, where they're actually you know before you didn't really sell tickets in advance to a lot of shows in in the indie scene, especially you would it would be mostly you know at the door, but now people are you know with ticket web and like brown paper tickets and all that stuff people are selling tickets in advance hey maybe you could start paying a little some guys in advance you know what i mean just yeah just maybe. yeah and and paying in advance is actually like i was uh, a lot of people don't understand that concept getting paid in advance is actually getting paid for what you're doing yeah the second part of the payment is actually your profit so no matter what you're going to come out ahead so mm. that's 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 business right there yeah so you know if you don't get paid at least you got paid for doing what you did, but your profit is actually in getting the second part of it. So actually one thing I wanted to kind of touch on, uh, you, you kind of reminded me of it. Uh, 
when you're talking about uh, the, the, the weird politics and like the stuff that people get away with. So one thing that Luke Hawks, Hawks mentioned was because, uh, you know, he, he has his own promotion in Louisiana called Wildcat Sports. And like when WrestleMania was down there in Louisiana, you have to have like a specific license to run wrestling. Mm. And of course, everyone goes there because they want to run shows because it's WrestleMania weekend. So people were like hitting him up to like use his license, quote unquote, like you know, co-promote oh, with him in order, in order so that they could run yeah. shows there, that yeah. kind of thing. And it, a lot of it was like, a lot of people would say, you know, oh yeah, we do, you do this for us. Then like, we'll do something for you. And then of course, a lot of these people lose his number real quick after they do that. Sure. So I was wondering, especially when you're booking and running PWG, did you ever encounter people who were like, oh yeah, you know, book my guys on a show and like, we'll book your guys on a thing. And then like, they didn't end up doing it or anything like around, like a, like that kind of thing. Well, if they did, it would never be twice. So Super Dragon was really awesome about that. He had a very, had an elephant's memory when it came to um, anybody who had screwed him in the past, anybody who was, he didn't want to work with. And, um, and that actually saved a lot of uh, time and effort. Uh, Cause like at times we didn't book our friends. We booked what was best for business and the best matches. So um uh, I think Scott even mentioned about the belt thing. Like mm-hmm. we had actually put money to a, a guy, I think in Florida and he never came through with the belts. And, um, you know, so, uh, we actually, it, like I said, never happened twice. Um, we actually, uh, we didn't do very many deals with people. Uh, the, 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 the deals that we did were usually, um, you know, the stuff that got us to, to Europe. Um, our little deals with, um, basically the wrestlers to, you know, get them in. I think some of the CCW at that time and ring of honor and TNA, we, we had to do deals with, uh, but they were always very professional about it. So it, it saved a lot of time, but we didn't deal with people that were, that we knew were flaky. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that eliminated a lot of, um, a lot of mistakes and, uh, a lot of times that getting into something that we didn't want to get into. Did any of your wrestler friends who maybe weren't necessarily super over or very skilled, to put it kindly, were, were, did any of them ever give you flack like, oh, how come I can't get booked to PWG? How come I can't? You know, Did you get that a lot, especially like when it was going real hot? I had a, I had a, very, um, I had a very big one that, um, that I, unfortunately, I, I, I wish I could go on the slander tour. Uh, cause I could, I could do it, but, um, but I'm not going to, uh, but I, I have somebody who actually came up to me and was very upset that, um, that I w- we, that I didn't book, uh, him specifically on our shows. And that would happen a lot. We, we I started getting calls from people saying, Hey, uh, I'd like to get on your shows and stuff like that. We were really laser focused on what we were trying to build, who was in that model and who wasn't. There was times when um, we would try different things and they didn't work and we shut them down immediately. And there was, um, I mean, there was a time when the, the Bucks, and they talk about this too, where the Bucks weren't in, um, in great favor with us uh, because of like some early training that we went through. And, and it was only because of, um, and it was, if you know the Bucks, like, like we know them now, uh, uh, we're much better friends, and we 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 kind of came up a very similar way. We knew what was going on, but again, you can't put the cart in front of the horse. Um, but they had to go through that kind of vetting process. So 
but yeah, the, the, you know, it, the wrestling, wrestling's, uh, uh, wrestling's weird. Wrestling will always be weird. Yeah. So there's always going to, um, you're always going to have these things that are, that are going to make you, um, question like, are we doing the right thing? Or is it good to get into this? We're always looking to expand as well. Like what can we do to make you know more money? What can we make, uh, what can we, uh, you know, to raise attendance a hundred, should we do this? Should we do this? And, you know, I, I was actually, um, I was toying with the idea of actually making like almost like a season ticket for PWG. Uh, mm. This was like maybe in 2006, where it's like, I go, they had access kind of like what they do now, where it's like you get access to like an hour of their time. You can do autographs and a meet and greet. Um, and it just, I just didn't have the capacity to kind of flush out the idea. It just never really happened. Um, it seemed preposterous at the time. Now it's like the way they do things. So yeah. I was trying to figure out other ways to do that. Like, oh, do we get more sponsors? Do we do this? Or do we, you know, it's like, but when, when you get sponsors and you have, you've taken money from people, they, you have to value their input and they actually have control over it. So it was, mm. we were very careful about giving away that power. Uh, let's see here. What's the best mistake you've made in pro wrestling? Um, I would say doing it in the first place. I, I mean, I have to say that it was, it was a mistake that I was, that I tried to do it. It was a mistake that I pursued it. It was a mistake, um, getting into it and trying to make it make PWG a business. Uh, it was a mistake, uh, doing all this. Do I regret it? some of it. Do I, uh, regret all of it? No, that's the thing. It's, it's like about living life and kind of pursuing something like you, your envisionment of what it is and what it could be, um, is, is sometimes, uh, bigger than, than what it, what it will be. But that never stopped me. I, I was glad to be naive about it. Um, in my first training session that I did, uh, I don't know why, why I was told to do this, but we started, we did sunset flips. And I, as I went over the guy, instead of going, like, instead of my feet landing and me bringing him over, I jumped over and about midway, he, he went back. So basically I just pile drive myself and he just landed on me in a sunset flip. Wow. And, um, I tweaked my neck. I like, it was one of those things where you just go, Oh my God, like this is, this is wrestling. This is what I'm getting myself into. And even in my first match in Mexico, like it went so badly and it was like, it was not what I expected. And it was, um, but it was still that little bit like super dragon and Excalibur. They're just like, come on, we, we need you in this. Come on, just keep on going and, and do all this stuff. And it just basically, it's like, I go, I got to at least see how far what I can do. And it just, again, it's like gambling. You just, you yeah. never know if, if you, you know, you just keep on hitting it and then you crap out and then all of a sudden something else comes up. And so, yeah. So like just even doing it in the first place is, was probably my, my biggest mistake. Um, but, um, Hey, you live and learn. What's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? Oh my gosh. That is a great question. Um, I tell you, like there's so many times um, that, I mean, just wrestling with like Ebison and, and, uh, and Kashimbo common, um, wrestling with, uh, Top Gun Tawar. I mean, like, like we, uh, all the things that we would do and, 
uh, in, in the ring. It was like so fun just to be a part of that. When, when Kevin Steen and, and El Generico were around and Chris Bosch, um, like we were always like laughing. That's one thing that I do regret. If I have another regret in wrestling, um, is that I did not laugh enough. Uh, wrestling was so fun for me. I took it real seriously and I probably wasn't the person that I really, um, wanted to be. And that is, um, that's something that I wish I would have done more. A lot of the laughing was in the matches. Uh, Mr. Excitement was another guy that we always laugh with because, uh, he had a Puerto Rican personality and would always just say fun things in the ring. Um, you know, being in there, like getting to know Rocky Romero and, and, uh, Ricky Reyes, uh, when they wrestled as the Cubanitos is great. Frankie Gazarian's hilarious. Like we would, we would just talk about baseball and, and comedy. Uh, Davey Richards, we talk about like the jerky boys and, and, uh, and, uh, this guy named Phil Hendry, who is a, a radio commentator. Yeah, yeah. M dog is another guy who's like totally like amazing Quicksilver. Another guy, like I can't, we would laugh so much about everything. Um, uh, Bob, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Dino Winwood. Uh, Bob Ramos, uh, another guy that's like, that guy makes me laugh uh, tremendously. But yeah, like we, uh, with Excalibur and Super Dragon, we, we laugh so much. Um, and I, I do miss that aspect of it. Uh, you've, you know, wrestled all over. What's the worst gimmick you've seen? Oh, I, I remember you asking Scott Lost this. So I'll say worst only because... Um, He's kind of known as the worst in a sense. Um, when I wrestled in, in Osaka um, in 2005, um, there's, a, there's a, a wrestler named Ultraman Robin. And he, he, if, you, if you know Taro's gimmick, mm. um, it's a chubbier, uh, almost the same size, a chubbier version of it. So he, but he's known as like this kind of, um, when I say indie wrestler, not even an indie wrestler, like he's a guy who just like dresses up in a like Ultraman costume that maybe is Ultraman. It's it like low rent Ultraman, mm. but he would wrestle everywhere. In fact, I just saw him, he was on a Michinoku Pro show. They had this uh, like marathon matches, like a, uh, all these Star Wars characters in it and like great Sasuke like wins it every year or something like that. But he was in that match and um, I wrestled him. Actually, it was the last match I ever did in Japan. I wrestled him uh, for this um, for this promotion called F-U-C-K and there's, it's, a, it's an acronym, but it's like, it's this really super grungy garbage indie. And uh, it was one of my biggest paydays in Japan uh, and I, someone bought my mask too. It was like, I think I got like $800 in total for wrestling for this little garbage indie, uh, to wrestle this guy. Uh, and it was, uh, it was fun. It was, I'll just say it was fun because I kept on calling him Taro. I go, Taro, why'd you make it over here? I go, you put on a, a bit of weight and no one, no one knew what I was saying the whole time. That's, fucking <laughs> great. That's crazy. Your, are the biggest payday was the friggin' Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, was I, that? I, who who would have known? Uh, that's wrestling though. Any, besides, uh, the guy you were talking about earlier, who was, who was being a dick, uh, in the ring, any, uh, quote, big name guys that you worked on a show with you that thought they were better than the show acted like they were better than the show. Just really just came across poorly. Um, some people, uh, they, and they were the guys, I, I would say like the, the guys that were already had been established and kind of made it. 
Um, the one thing that I always loved was it was when like the ex WWE or WCW guys that we would be on the shows, even, even the, the Lucha guys that were, you know, um, like I wrestle with like El Hijo del Santo and, and, and LA park and, and guys like that. And a lot of rather like, like, uh, like blue demon and, and, uh, uh, Negro Casas. And so there's all these people that, that you would think would have these super huge egos and a lot of them didn't. Um, but some, the, the people that did, I was always, I felt almost like bad for them that, that it seemed like just angry. And, um, when, for me, like there was a lot of, I, I had a lot of anger uh, type of issues about like, and I knew the things that irritated me. So like adversity or frustration really super got me agitated and took me to a place that, that was, that I didn't like to be. And that's, I can only imagine them um, and there's lifestyle traveling. Uh, things are not easy. Um, things are, are definitely not the same as they used to be. They're not, not in this looked at in the same light. Um, the, the window is very small for, for stardom in, in this business. So, um, in a, in a sense, I felt a, a bit bad for them. So I didn't really harsh them about it, but, but I, I more felt, um, uh, empathy for them. Um, and, but like when I saw them treating other people badly, that's when I, you know, it was, yeah. it was hard. It was even harder to watch. It's uh, it reminds me of when uh, that movie, the wrestler came out and I was like, as, as like the, the more nerdy wrestling person of a lot of my friends, I was like, you have no idea how realistic this movie is. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I was like the, the scene with him and walking in the thing with the fanny pack and they're in like the hotel ballroom, like on these tables and all these do I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is like every wrestling like convention thing I've ever been to. This is insane. Yeah. It's, and yeah, it just makes me like think about like, you know, when people uh, reach a certain level and then it comes crashing down and they're like, it, I don't know how like mentally maybe they just weren't able to kind of compartmentalize that. You know what I mean? They're just kind of like, frustrated i think frustrated is the word that you use and i think that's probably correct yeah there was there was there was a documentary um and it's it a bigger faster stronger or that mm, yeah, same yeah. guy he did but um he he was talking about how his i think it was his brother was trying to pursue that wwf dream or e dream and um he just didn't have it but he was always trying to pursue it and keep on going and and being being an accountant didn't have the same like lure as like being a WWE wrestler, which is totally understandable. Um, for me, I was lucky. Whereas like I had my day job and my, my, my graphic design career. So wrestling was always like, you know, cake because like, you know, it's like, it was always something that's like, you know, I, if I do this, like it's, it's way more than I expected and I'm lucky to get this opportunity and I'm lucky that I can fulfill it in a, in a high capacity and not not go out there and just make a fool out of myself. And there's been times when I've you know messed up, obviously, but I felt that I could hold my weight and 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 do well in it and participate at a high level, um, even though that I it wasn't my dedicated vocation. So yeah, so that I was always lucky in that sense. But so um, you know, again, it was all about go, going back to empathy and and more just kind of seeing it from their perspective rather than. Than saying like, oh, this guy's stupid or whatever. 
And finally, uh, the I call it the touchy-feely question. The last one here, what is your pure joy in wrestling? Uh, whether it be before, during, or after the match, the thing that gives you goosebumps, that makes you go, this is why I fucking loved this business. This is why I got into it. This is what I did this for. Well, one of the things that uh, I always thought it was having a good match. Like, oh, I can't wait to have a good match. The thing about having a good match is you want to do it again and again and again and again. The thing that I found that was a great comfort, Mr. Excitement and I talk about this all the time, is our actually our things that after we'd have our matches, we'd go eat somewhere and hang out and talk and laugh and reminisce and uh, talk about the future and have those shared experiences. Uh, I'm a huge baseball nerd. So we talk about baseball. We talk about basketball because the Lakers were good at that time. And my, my team is the Phoenix Suns and they're perpetually awful every year. So we'd always laugh about that. And, um, and we, we just would talk about the thing. So one of the things I got to do was uh, I always look forward to eating afterwards, wherever we were. Because I knew at that time, the, the pressure of the match is off. The, pre- the, 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 we could actually relax and talk and actually not have to worry about being somewhere or doing something. All right. And with that, uh, we just about reached the end here, but I'd like to have you put yourself over. You just kind of segued into it without knowing talking yes. about baseball. Yeah. Uh, please tell us where we can check you out talking about beer and baseball. Yes, we do a weekly uh, show on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the Beer Baseball blog on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, um, and we're also on Instagram too. Check us out. It is Angelo Trinidad. He is a former ring announcer for uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and Mach 1. I want to give out a shout out to John Ian who passed away early this year. Um, And uh, Taro. Uh, the, the former Taro, Kevin Lyon, is with us too. We do it every Tuesday. Uh, I also do a um, – uh, that's the Beer Baseball Blogcast. Uh, the Beer Baseball – if you look up Beer Baseball Blog on any social media, we're there. I'm doing a Beer Baseball Blog interview series. I just interviewed uh, Gabe Ramirez from Pro Wrestling Revolution. I'm be interviewing the Myrtle Beach Pelicans uh, general manager. Uh, they're the affiliate for the Cubs. And uh, so uh, we're all in on beer and baseball. It's talking about uh, uh, the adventures of craft beer and baseball. Uh, I, during Before the pandemic, I, I would go around and travel to all these baseball parks, uh, minor league, independent, major league, and taste all the craft beers and uh, journal uh, about all the experiences. And it was getting really good and uh, got shut down. So I don't, you know, they have baseball now. It doesn't feel the same, uh, but we're all super baseball like, uh, when I say nerds, it's it's in nerd squared. Like we we uh, we have a lot of fun every Tuesday, and um, uh, also want to give a, a, a August eighteenth. Uh, we're actually going to have a, a beer baseball broadcast, but it's also the anniversary of the death of Brody Stevens, um, who took his life. He uh, Brody Stevens, uh, for those who don't know, is a comedian, um, and he suffered with mental illness. He was very open about his mental illness. And, um, I feel like, um, uh, that he, if, if he treated it with medication and all these other things and eventually, um, uh, took his own life, uh, it was a spot that I could definitely relate, uh, with. And, um, and it's something that I, I fear, uh, out there with all this pandemic and, uh, and everything that's going on. Mental health is such a big issue. My girlfriend suffers from fibromyalgia in her community. Suicide is a, a very big um, 
a, a very big issue. And uh, she started a nonprofit um, called uh, Support Fibro. If you look that up on, on the internet, uh, it's, it helps all these people um, in food deserts and getting help. Um, so mental health is a, is a very big issue with me. And um, for those who also don't know, uh, August 18th is 818. 818 until I die. Um, I'm, I'm literally 818. I have an 818 uh, phone number. Um, but I also grew up in, uh, I didn't grow up in the San Fernando Valley, but that's where I moved when I first was here. I have a huge connection to Brody and his baseball. So um, if you're struggling with mental health, uh, please do something about it. I go to therapy um, once every week, um, and I wish I would have done it a lot sooner. So please get the help that you need. And, uh, and if you don't, uh, reach out to someone that you love. Um, they will be there for you. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you being on the show today. And thank you for uh, raising awareness on uh, such a you know, worthy cause. Thank you so much. I appreciate you very much. <laughs>